Hey all my unicorns, dragons, demons, and trolls. It's your girl Dark Pegasus here. We're going to go ahead and continue reading our book, Longborough, Podkin One Ear. It is the first in its series. And last time I forgot to tell you who the author was. It's Kieran Larwood. So if you want to go and find this book, the author is K-I-E-R-A-N Larwood, L-A-R-W-O-O-D. So definitely go check the book out if you're reading along with me. That is fantastic. If not, you can just listen. That's not a problem. So, we are going to begin. Interlude The bard stops talking and gazes in Chief Hubert's direction, smacking his lips and generally trying his best to look thirsty. Hubert takes the hint and flicks an ear at his dozing cupbearer so hard it nearly knocks him backwards. The startled rabbit grabs a wooden flagon, fills it to the brim with frothy honey mead, and dashes over the storyteller. Among protesting cries from the little rabbit sitting around his feet, the bard drains the whole flagon in three long gulps and then wipes the froth from his beard with the back of his hand. Don't stop! Don't stop! the rabbits cried. Tell us what happened next. The bard lets out a belch, frowns, and then lets out another. Give me a minute, he said. My pipes don't work as well as they used to. Bless my turnips, that was good mead. Were the gorm really real? one little rabbit asked. My brother said they were just made up to frighten baby bunnies at night. They were, burp, really real, replies the bard. Excuse me. He eyes a plate of fresh, steaming cornbread next to a huge bowl of turnip soup, a knob of creamy butter slowly melting in its center. But his audience has no intention of letting him stop for much longer. What do you think it was that changed them, then? Did anyone ever find out? Was it the witch's curse, or was it something else? The fear in this little rabbit's eyes makes it all too clear she is worrying that the same thing might happen in Thornwood. Could have been a curse, said the bard. Could have been something much more horrible. As far as this part of the story goes, oh dear, I really shouldn't gulp my drink like that. As far as this part of the story goes, nobody had any idea. That's all you need to know for now. The bard is about to carry on, but something in this little rabbit's eyes makes him stop. They are wide, white, and terrified with tears glistening in the corners. He likes to scare his audience a little, but this is Bramble Massive. She should be going to bed with dreams of sugared carrots and carven wooden dolls, not lying awake, scared witless. He tugs his beard a few times, then reaches into one of his pouches on his belt, bringing out an ancient, much-folded piece of leather. Listen, he says, I don't normally do this, but... What, the rabbit saw squealed, what have you got there? This, says the bard, unfolding the stained leather... This is something I found on my travel, something I don't usually read to children, especially not when I'm in the middle of a tale. Oh, please read it, please! The little rabbits are desperate for something secret, something forbidden. It's an account, you see, a tale of its own, copied down word for word from this old rabbit I met. Far to the east of here is Hustlin. The bard look, holds up the leather to show rows and rows of tiny runes burned and inked into it. The rabbits all kneel to squint at it, even though most of them can't yet read. A tale of what? The gorm? How they were made? Rhubarb and radishes, but you are nosy ones. Yes, how the gorm came to be, in the words of one who was there. Now I'll read it to you, but only if you promise to remember there, where we got to in the story. Do we have a deal? The rabbits all shout about how well they can remember and that the deal has definitely been made. Nodding and waving at them to shush, the bard spreads the letter out on his knee and begins to read. My name is Anna. I'm old now. A long tooth, as they say here in Hulslin. 
but once I was a young rabbit born on the little warren in the northern coast of Enderby called Sandywell, a simple place full of simple gray-furred fisher rabbits. The warren has another name now, and the rabbits don't fish anymore. Now they're called the gorm, and they do things that set your fur shivering and your ears shaking. But it wasn't always that way. That's why I want my story written down, so that others can learn from it. So that same thing doesn't happen to any other warren like it did ours. When I was a little doe, we had a happy, carefree life. We lived right on the edge of the sandiest beach you ever saw, and we used to spend hours running around the dunes and splashing in the rock pools. When I think back, all I remember is the sun in my eyes, sand between my toes, and salt spray on my fur. Happy days. Our chief was a funny little rabbit named Cramma, Cramma the Cautious, he was known as, for he never made a decision without going over it a hundred times or more. He was famous for changing his mind, getting muddled, and generally putting everything in a pickle. I remember hearing my father and his friends moaning about him many an evening in the Longborough, but nobody dared to do anything about it. He had a magic helmet of the goddess, you see, a great metal thing with copper horns. On him it looked like an upside-down cauldron, but it protected him from any spear or blade, and he never took it off. It did have a special name, but we just called it the Copper Pot. Sandy Well wasn't the most exciting warren to live in, but it was safe and warm, and we were happy, at least until that terrible day. I don't like to speak of it, but I know I must. Cram our chief had finally decided that we needed to dig a new long burrow. The sandy soil of the warren tended to crumble, and the other older parts were wearing away. It was a big job, and all the rabbits had to help. Even us young kittens, we carried baskets of soil out for the diggers and brought them drinks and food. The soil was soft and loomy, and the new burrow fast appeared. Then after a few days of digging, a cry went out that someone had found something. I remember dashing down there with my friends, expecting to find pots of gold or fairy treasure. Instead, there was something else. It makes my fur crawl to think of it even now, after all this time. The thing. It was there, jutting up out of the ground like a great rotten fang. It was dark metal, iron of some sort, perhaps. We had seen lumps of iron before. We knew it was the metal goddess hated, and that no rabbit could work with it. But they had been tiny lumps, the size of your paw or so. The thing was huge, as tall as the biggest rabbit in the warren, and then some. And there was something about it. It didn't feel right. You could sense it pulsing and grinding inside itself, as if it was angry or full of something nasty. It was jagged and rough, but under the surface you could see things, things that seemed to twitch and move. Spikes and horns here, a tentacle there, even an eye or a mouth. We all knew it was evil. That was very clear. Nobody wanted to go near the new long burrow after that. Our priestess sealed off the tunnel with magic charms, and we all tried to pretend it hadn't happened. But none of us slept easy after that night, and then the noises started. Deep in the dead of night, you could hear them. Voices, mostly. Some belonging to the rabbits, others belonging to something else. Sometimes there was a laughing and chanting, too. Although not in any language we had heard before. And then the hammering started. From that day on, Cramar Chieftain was almost never seen in daylight. Every night when the warren was asleep, he went down there with his soldiers to be near that thing. It changed them, told them how to take the iron and hammer it and shape it, whispered dark secrets and forbidden promises in their ears. That evil shard of metal took our chief, it did. What could have it offered him? Power, strength, riches? Maybe it took away all his caution and gave him something else instead. I know this for sure, though, all this time that he was forging it into something else, it was forging him as well. The bard stops for a moment, 
he can see the little rabbits are enraptured, the older rabbits too. The entire long burrow is now hanging on his every word. He clears his throat and continues. A week or so later, the night hammering stopped. The next day, Krama showed himself. It was a Mers Day feast. As I remember, the day we honored our goddess of the sea, we were all sitting in the long burrow about to start a dinner of grilled mackerel and crab cakes, the last fish I ever ate. Kremel walked into the long burrow with his soldiers and every rabbit almost screamed. The oversized copper pot wasn't on his head anymore. In its place was a different helmet, an iron one, all twisted and spiked. It had two horns, like a mockery of the goddess's helm, but they were mismatched and jagged things. He walked taller and broader than before. That was not Cram of the Cautious. That was a part of that evil iron thing walking around in rabbit form. He spoke to us then, in a grating, scraping voice that none of us recognized. In the years since, I've tried to remember what he said. But the truth is, I wasn't really listening. All I could do at that time was stare. Stare at the iron war helm of his, but mostly at his eyes. His and all his soldiers. They weren't rabbits' any eyes anymore. You see, they were red like rusted iron or dried blood. Some rabbits stood up and protested. Our priestess was one, my uncle another. The soldiers grabbed them and took them away, deep into the warren. We never saw them again. That's right, my family and I, and lots of, other lots of others besides, all crept out of Sandywell and ran. We ran for our lives, and we didn't stop until we had forests, rivers, and mountains between that place and us. If you're listening to this and you want to stay safe and free, you'll do the same. And whatever you end up, take this one piece of advice from an old rabbit who's held on her to her skin long enough to know. Keep your warren safe, keep your warren warm, but don't dig too deep. The bard folds up the old letter parchment and tucks it back inside his belt pouch. There is silence for a little while afterwards, as the little rabbits imagine horrid things buried in the earth beneath their bottoms. But buried things are perhaps better than a wandering witch putting curses on you and turning you into a monster. The bard looks at the little girl rabbit and sees she is slightly less terrified, which will have to do. The silence doesn't last for long, of course. Was the copper pot a magic weapon like the star claw? Did the chief turn into Scramashack? A little specked rabbit looks up at the bar with huge saucer eyes glinting in the firelight. Her friends all nod, wanting to find out too. Even more questions. You are an inquisitive one indeed, aren't you? The bard reaches down and tweaks one of her floppy ears. Way back before memories even began, the goddess herself gave each of the twelve rabbit tribes a magic treasure. Sandywell had the copper pot, and Starclaw was the prize of Munbury Warren, who were once the greatest tribe of all. Did we get a gift? Where's our magic weapon? The bard laughs at this and winks over at Chief Hubert, who is rolling his eyes as he sips at a bowl of buttery turnip soup. Thornwood Warren is too new for that. It hasn't been here much more than 60 years. In fact, at the time of my story, it was little more than a scrape in the ground, which is why the Gorm never bothered with it. Where, <laughs> where are the magic gifts now? Who's got the dagger? Did the Gorm destroy the helmet? What other magic things were there? Yes, yes, called the other rabbits. Where is the dagger now? What happened to it? What happened? Bang! The bard brings his wooden flagon down on the tabletop, making all the little rabbits jump. They squeaked and shivered for a bit until the, he fixes them all with his best glare. Then they are completely silent. When all that can be heard is the crackle of the fire and the slurping of Chief Hubert's soup, the bard speaks again. 
I do believe we had a deal, didn't we? They were running from the gorm, one rabbit calls out. Podkin had just toppled a tree onto the riders, yelling another. They were squished like raspberry jam. There was blood everywhere and eyeballs and things. All right, all right, says the ward. That's quite enough gory detail. Now, let me continue on where I left off. Redwater. Well, as you so beautifully described, the fleeing rabbits had just toppled a tree onto two gorm riders. Very impressive, too. After they had stood for a few moments, taking in what had happened, slowly realizing they were still alive, they headed off for the woods again. The sun was well risen now, and they followed it eastward, crunching through the snow as drips from melting icicles patterned on their heads and ran down their necks, making them shiver even more. Before long, they stumbled down another bank and onto a narrow frozen river. Paz, who actually had been paying attention in those geography lessons, recognized it as the Red River. This is the river that runs past Redwater Warren. Do you remember it? Podkin was too cold to remember anything, even if he had been listening. About river names and types of trees, the terror of nearly being caught, and the amazement at the power of Starclaw were gone. All he really wanted to do now was lie down in the soft white snow and fall asleep forever. But there was a dim little thought tugging away at the corner of his mind. Don't they used to come here at midsummer? every other year there had been other little rabbits hat in there and dandelion salad with carrot juice dressing he was sure he remembered that was it different then not white everywhere paz gave him a worried look and grabbed him by the arm they half ran half fell all the way along the river bank until they had come to an arch wooden bridge and from there they followed a snowy track cut into the forest floor it led them to a pair of oak doors set in the hillside. Notched Agahim writing carved into the gate post declared it to be red water. Thank the goddess, said Paz, tears in her eyes as she used the last of her strength to bang on the door. Podkin could do nothing but stand and shiver at her side, and little Pook was too cold even for that. After a few moments, the worn door creaked open and a gingerfurred guard rabbit poked out his head. Now Paz and Pocket might have been half frozen, but they had been here several times before and they remembered the famous hospitality of the Red Rotter Rabbits. Everyone for miles around knew how excited, excitable and fun-loving they were. Any rabbit who stopped here was practically dragged inside and made to eat, sing, and dance until they dropped, which is why they were shocked by this gloomy-faced, dreary soldier who peered at them now. His ears drooped, his eyes were shadowed and bloodshot, his leather armor was unlaced, unpolished, battered, and torn. It barely fit hanging off him like old cloths on a scarecrow. If they hadn't been so frozen, they might have wondered why such a skinny, undersized rabbit was doing the job of a hardened warrior. "'What do you want?' he said, looking like he didn't care in the slightest. Padka said something was wrong, but was too desperate to listen to her gut. She cleared her throat and spoke, "'We need help, please.' The gormer after us, Pod added. Soup, whispered Poke, poking a shivering nose out of Paz's tunic. We're from Munbury Warren, said Paz. We're Chief Lopkin's children. The, eyes, the guard's eyes widened as this, and he slammed Rude. the door on them. For an awful moment, Podkin and Paz thought they were being shut out, but then they heard the guard shouting for help through the doors. Are they going to let us in? Podkin asked through chattering teeth. I think so, said Paz, but something's up. we better hide the dagger. Podkin just looked at it dumbly, as if he was wondering how the thing had appeared in his hand. 
Quickly, Pess snatched it from him, wrapped it in the cloth, and shoved it inside her tunic. Next to Pook, who gave a weak little squeak of protest, she had just hidden it away when the door creaked open again, this time revealing a familiar face, Lady Russet, the Redwater Chieftain's wife. Even though Podkin's brain was practically an ice cube, he could see the terrible difference in the lady before she had been a plump, bristled bundle of life with zinging fur, a bubbly giggle, and eyes that sparkled like glimmers of summer sunlight. Now her skin hung off her face in folds, lines of worry creased her brow, and her eyes were hollow, haunted, and red-rimmed, as if she'd been crying, crying for a long, long time. When she spoke, her voice was light and happy, but it sounded forced, as if she was trying to hide some great sadness. Why, if it isn't little Paz and Podkin, how you've grown since the summer. And is that tiny pook nestled there? You poor things, you look frozen half to death. Is it true what my guard says about the gorm in Munbury Warren? Come in, come in at once. You'll be safe here, I promise. Podkin knew that this wasn't right, that he shouldn't probably turn and run back into the icy woods, but he could hear the crackle of a fire somewhere down inside the warren, and he could smell roasted parsnips and freshly baked bread. At that moment, getting warm and eating were more important to him than anything else, even his safety. That might sound silly to you, sitting by a toasty hearthside with a belly full of turnip soup, but try spending the night running for your life through a midwinter forest. You'd chew the legs off a rabbit badger for a snack and somewhere cozy to sleep. In fact, warmth and food were more important than anything else right then, although the little rabbits didn't know it. They were very close to freezing to death. If Podkin had laid down in the snowdrift like he wanted to, the sleep he would have drifted off into would have been his last. He would have woken up in the land beyond, and there is no coming back from that place. So, that was how they came to enter Redwater Warren. Even then, even though it was a mistake, Podkin would regret for the rest of his life. They were led through the long burrow and sat down on benches next to the fire. Lady Russet went off to see the rooms were made ready for them, and some silent shuffling serving rabbits brought out hot buttered parsnips and a few small loaves of bread. As soon as the blood started moving around its body again, Podkin's hands began shaking so bad he could hardly hold his plate. He managed to bite a parsnip eventually, and it burned and tingled as it slipped down his throat. It was the best feeling he'd ever had. After a little while, the shaking stopped, and he found himself gulping down mouthfuls and tearing through the bread like a starved rabbit. Paz was doing the same, and little Pook even began to move a bit. His nose wrinkled and his eyes peered out from Paz's tunic. Neeps, neeps, he called, opening his mouth like a baby bird as Paz spooned hot parsnips inside. As his body thawed out, so did Podkin's wits. He noticed the long row was dark and damp. Thick cobwebs filled the corners, and the fire before them was a tiny one nestled amongst huge banks of ash. The fire hadn't been swept for months. He looks around the tables and benches, remembering the feast days of Smithsunner, when the hall had been packed to the rafters with cherry rabbits. There was hardly any furniture left now, and those chairs had... They been patched up? Was the back of the bench splintered? The food wasn't quite right, either. The parsnips were stringy, and the bread gritty and burned on the outside. The last feast day, they had eaten a huge, glorious meal here. There had been a giant carrot hollowed out, so that when it was cut, a cascade of roasted turnips and rutabagas tumbled over the table. Now that was proper red water food, not this hasty cobbled together meal in front of them. Once he started noticing one or two little things, his eyes picked out more. 
Were those gouge marks on the earthen wall there? Where, what were those dry red stains spattered on the floor? And also, come to think of it, where were the children? The chieftain's children, they had played hide-and-seek in Blind Bunny's bluff with every year since he could walk. They were a nosy, loud, and bubbly as the redwater rabbits ever was. If there weren't in the long burrow itself, he should at least be able to hear them shouting and chasing each other somewhere in the warren. This is Bramble this morning, after all. There should have been a cluster of little rabbits in the long burrow, all showing off what the midwinter rabbit had brought them in the night. At least that was always what happened in Min Munbury Warren. I had been hoping for a set of wooden soldiers, Podkin thought. He wondered if they had been delivered anyway, and were sitting next to his empty bed, or whether the midwinter rabbit knew about the gorm and had kept away. It didn't seem important anymore, even though it had been all he thought about for weeks, how quickly your life can turn upside down. Paz, he whispered, where do you think Rufus and Rusty are? Wouldn't they have come out to see us if they knew we were here? Paz nodded. Her eyes had been zipping everywhere, noticing the same thing as Podkins. Mostly she had been staring at her metal sculpture that she hadn't seen before. A tall iron pedestal that jutted up from the long burrow floor. It wasn't a model or anything in particular, just a mass of twists and coils, all jagged, uneven, and unfinished. Why did they have an iron statue in there, Warren? she wondered. Everyone knew that kind of metal was hated by the goddess, and what was it about that thing that set her fur on edge? It reminded her of something, but her poor, frozen, terrified, and couldn't quite place it. And then it came to her, the gorm. She wanted to tell Podkin, but didn't speak because two serving rabbits had just entered the room. They were carving a large box, the carrying a large box between them, covered with a thick blanket. They'd kept to the shadows as they edged their way around the long burrow. They had their heads down, but Paz could see them darting nervous, scared glances at them as they passed. Out through the hallway to the main doors they went. They were gone, she hissed at Pod. What was that they were carrying? Pod was about to shrug when he heard a muffled cawing sound coming from the hallway. Some kind of animal. A bird? That sound. They had heard it before just a few short hours ago. Podkin and Paz looked at each other, both thinking the same thought as they said at the same time. It's not a box, but a cage. And inside must have been one of the Gorm spy birds, a warped, tortured crow with dead eyes and rusted metal feathers. The bird, the statue, the dead, empty warren, suddenly it all made sense. They're working for the Gorm, Podkin hissed. They're letting them know we're here. The Gorm must have taken Redwater just as they had Munbury. Chief Russet must have been killed, his guards murdered, and the rest of the children turn into slaves and as for the children Podkin didn't like to think about it without it heart and soul the warren was slowly dying they had chosen the worst possible place to run to we have got to get out Paz started to say but Podkin was already up and running Paz grabbed Pook and went to the follow him when the corner of her eye she caught sight of an iron pillar something inside of it squirmed and jutted juddered like a fat eel stuck in a shallow puddle of mud could that even be possible? And then it made a sound, a grinding, screeching wail that grew louder and louder. She didn't wait to hear any more. Clutching Pook, she dashed after her brother as fast as her quick rabbit legs would carry her. They sprinted out of the long burrow in the opposite direction of the main entrance, just as a shout went up from the gallery above. Someone had been up there watching them, and from the voice, it sounded a lot like Lady Russet herself. Stop them! Don't let them escape! 
Into the tunnels of the warren they ran, the screams echoing behind them, heading away from the main doors may have been may have seemed like a crazy thing to do, but Podkin knew there were would be guards there. He also knew Warrens had many little back entrances and bolt holes. He could hear his father's voice reciting one of his favorite phrases, a warren with one entrance is basically a trap, a trap like the one that had just walked into. They dashed through dark, winding corridors, changing directions every time they heard footsteps nearby. The redwater rabbits were closing in on them, hounding them through the tunnels, the way ferrets used to chase their small, fluffy ancestors. Shouting voices echoed behind them. A little pook began to wail as he was bounced around inside Paz's tunic. Neves! Neves! He could sense his sister's fear, but she was also concerned that his meal had been interrupted. There, Paz shouted up ahead. The tunnel had become lighter. As they rounded the corner, they saw a small open gateway and a snowy forest beyond. They sprinted for it, and fast as terrified rabbits can, as Lady Russet's voice called out behind them, Seal the war and close all the gates! Slams and bangs began to echo through the passageways. The numb horror Podkin saw a metal por portcullis began to grind downward over the doorway ahead. Their escape was being blocked. They were being... They were going to be trapped inside. Sometimes when your life is in real danger, when everything seems lost, there is a well of energy deep within you that can give you a final desperate surge of power. It isn't always much, but often it's just enough to scrape through trouble by a whisker. Podkin and Paz reached for theirs now and doubled their speed down the tunnel. As the heavy grill clanking further and further down, Paz reached it first and dropped to her knees, sliding underneath the portcullis's prongs and out into the snow. Podkin was a split second behind her. He copied his sister, kicking his legs out and falling backwards to skid underneath. Looking up, he saw the roof of the tunnel pass by the gateway. The falling portcullis and then the gray sky of the open air above. I did it, he thought. I'm free. But then there came a sharp, searing pain in his ear. He tried to get up, but something was holding his head down, something very painful. He heard Paz gasp, and he twisted around to see what had happened. The portcullis was down, and there weren't on the outs and they were on the outside, or at least most of them was. One of his long, silky brown ears was still inside, and speared through it, holding him in place, was a prong of the portcullis. He had been pinned to the ground. He was trapped. One ear. Paz heard the clang of the portcullis behind her and turned to see Podkin lying safely outside the warren. She felt a surge of relief, which quickly disappeared when she saw the look of agony on his face. Why isn't he getting up, she thought. Has he sprained an ankle, hurt his back? And then she saw the portcullis prong spearing his ear to the ground. That was when she gasped. She dashed to his side and took his hand. Oh, Pod, your ear! Her brother's eyes were bulging and his teeth were gnashing in pain. She realized he must be trying his hardest not to scream so that the redwater rabbits wouldn't discover where they'd gone. The poor thing could hardly move his head. There was no way they could escape into the woods now. A voice came from back in the tunnel, somewhere in the dark. If only you hadn't run, then none of this would have happened. As Paz watched, she saw a figure step toward the portcullis. Closer to the light, it was Lady Russet. The gaunt, haunted Lady Russet with cold, dead eyes. Let us go, milady, Paz looked up at her and pleaded. You were always our friend. Don't let the Gorm take us. The living statue left here has sensed you. We've already sent the crow. And Lady, said Lady Russet, but by now it has reached its masters and is calling them to us. It is too late. How can you do this? Why would you help them? They're evil, Lady Russet. They killed our father. 
For a moment there was something like pity in the lady's eyes. Paz thought she even saw a tear from there before it trickled away into her fur. They killed my husband, too, she said, her voice little more than a whisper, and all our guards and warriors. But they have my children, Rufus and Rusty. If I give you to them, I might get my children back. Paz's fury at this cowardly, spineless thing the chieftain's wife had become suddenly overflowed. She jumped up and grabbed the bars of the portcullis, shouting down the tunnel at her, "'What would my father say if he saw you now? What would your husband say? Call yourself a rabbit? You're no better than a weasel, you, you traitor!' Lady Russet jumped backwards, eyes wide, vanishing into the shadows. It was a few moments before she spoke again, and when she did, her voice was shaky and broken, as if she were holding back from sobbing. It won't be long until they are here. Your brother is stuck, and I won't free him. But if you're gone when they arrive, I will say that he came here alone. You and the little one can escape. That's the best I can do. With that, she was gone, leaving the little rabbits cold and frightened in the snow. You heard her pass, said Podkin eventually. You have a chance to get away. Leave me here and take Pook somewhere safe. Paz gritted her teeth and shook the portcullis bars. I, I'm not leaving you behind, she said. There must be some way we can free you. Kaka! Poke was wiggling around inside her tunic, shouting at the top of his voice. What? Paz snapped at the crow's gone, Pook. Kaka! It's gone, Pook. No bird gone. Now stop shouting at me so I can think of what to do. The baby rabbit gave a frustrated yell, then started wriggling about like mad, pushing the cloth wrapped dagger out of Paz's robes, where she had stowed it. It took a moment for her to realize that he, what he was doing. Of course, not caw-caw, but claw. Star-claw, you're a genius, Pook. Paz gave him a quick nuzzle, then dragged Star-claw out, ripping off the cloth, covering as fast as she could. Clang! She swung it hard against the portcullis. She tried again and again, but nothing happened. Clang, clang! Ugh! Podkin moaned. The vibrations were like tiny explosions in his wounded ear. Stop doing that! Oh, whiskers, the gate's iron. The stupid dagger won't cut through it. How did they even get an iron gate? Unless the Gorm gave it to him. Paz cursed again and shoved the dagger into the snow. What's the point of having a magic weapon if you couldn't use it half the time? Podkin whimpered, his hands reaching up to his pinned ear. There must be some way to free him. Could she cut away the stone of the gateway floor? Or the lintel above it? She wondered how much time they had. Her question was answered by a horn blast somewhere on the other side of the warren. They had hardly any time. Go, Podkin said again. Just go. No. Paz shook her head. They had to be some other way around it. Her quick little mind word ticking through all the possibilities. In the end, there was only one option. Pod, she gripped him with a hand and squeezed. The dagger can't cut through iron, but it can cut through your ear. Paz gulped. Podkin gulped. The portcullis had speared his ear over halfway down. He would have to lose nearly the whole thing. Please don't, he said. Just leave it me for the Gorm. They probably won't kill me, will they? You're officially the chieftain of Munbury now, said Paz. They'll do to you what they did to Father. Scramshack will wear your skull in his belt. But my ear... I have to do it now, Pod. There isn't much time. Podkin and Paz looked at each other. Finally, Podkin nodded. Paz pulled the dagger out of the snow. Inside her tunic, Pook squeaked and hid his eyes. Hang on said Paz. She remembered a lesson on wood lore about how spiderwebs could help stop a wound from bleeding. She stood on her tiptoes and pulled a good handful of matted cobwebs from around the doors, ignoring the fat spiders that scuttled over her fingers, angry at having their winter sleep broken. Then she lowered the dagger tip 
rest against Pod's ear. Will it hurt, he says. It might pass, remember, the way the dagger had chopped through the tree trunk as if it was butter. But it'll be quick. Then do it, said Pod. Closing his eyes, it was funny how he didn't feel anything at first. Not the slice, not the cobwebs being pressed over his wound, nor the handfuls of snow after that. It was funny to be running off into the woods, leaving a part of his body behind. But the funny thing of all was that even after his ear had been sliced off, he could still feel the burning pain of the portcullis piercing it. A burning pain in an ear that was no longer there. Okay, guys, I think that's a good stopping point. So... If you have any recommendations for new books or predictions for our current book, you can hit up my Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. It's all at the same handle, which is at Dark Pegasus, D-R-K-P-E-G-S-U-S. I do a nightly Twitch stream with my friend, as well as I stream sometimes during the day on YouTube. So you can hit up the chat directly, or you can just DM me. I don't care which. You can also hit up my dog's Instagram that has super cute pictures of my husky up there, which is at hottie, H-A-T-I, underscore, A-K-A, underscore, Mr. Woofles. The only thing that I can stress with your recommendations or predictions is please no spoilers. I'm not usually this anal about spoilers, but I want to be surprised with you guys. If you send me recommendations or predictions with spoilers in it, I can't do that, and I can't accurately predict what might happen in the story later. So I want to thank you guys in advance for keeping this spoil-free. So if you want to support the podcast or donate for new books for me to read, you can. You can donate to my Venmo, which is at Dark Pegasus, or my Cash App, which is the dollar sign Dark Pegasus, and just use the note hashtag podbook uh, so I know what it's for. It's not required, but it is greatly appreciated. Last, I want to let you guys know that all copyrights belong to the author and the publisher. I'm just doing this for fun, you guys. I love you guys and see you later.